Welcome to the Redbird Report, coming to you from the Vedette offices on Illinois State's campus. My name is Tom Preisman, alongside Vedette Sports Editors Mike Moore and Nate Head. Each guy yesterday had his own assignment. Big day for Redbird Sports. We'll talk to Mike, and we'll look at the Illinois State men's basketball team. They tipped off their season yesterday a little bit later, but we start with Nate Head, who covered the Illinois State football team. Mike and I actually watched the game together. They watched the conclusion. But, Nate, you covered it for the Vedette. 27-24, South Dakota State in overtime defeats the Redbirds. Uh, I'll start with this. It's difficult when you have to count on a Vinatieri missing a game-winning field goal. And that was the situation the Redbirds put themselves in after the Sean Slattery missed open up overtime. And Vinatieri, the nephew, that's Chase Vinatieri, the nephew of Adam Vinatieri, comes through and knocks it home, and South Dakota State wins. You know, Mike and I were actually just joking about that, about the last name and Vinatieri. I didn't realize that they are indeed related. Um, you know, I guess there's not probably a lot of Vinatieri kickers going around. So I Also, Adam did attend South Dakota State, so that's his alma okay. mater as well. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So, you know, there's no really other way to describe this. This is kind of, you know, just a heartbreaking game for the ISU. You know, they're losing in the second quarter. They get that big kick return to, to bring them within three points, and then... You know, they, and they they fight. I mean, they, they played a really great defensive ball game in the second half. They limited, you know, South Dakota State to, I think, 150 yards or so. Very strong defensive outing. Um, I thought the offense missed a lot of opportunities. They had a lot of good field, field position in the second half. Just didn't come through. And, yeah, you know, it, it kind of hinged on a missed kick and, and, and a made kick. And it's just, you know, it's football, and it's definitely a tough way to go. Mike, you, you and I watched the end of the game together. Uh, I'm sure we're going to get to it, but we're going to talk about the play calling. I think that was probably uh, on everyone's mind. It was poor, to say the least. But but before we get there, just your thoughts on the overall performance from Illinois State. You were pretty down on them when we did the podcast on Wednesday. I I, I predicted them to win. Obviously, didn't do that. But I think you do have to give credit to the overall team. Uh, Obviously, we'll get to some of the maybe mistakes they made, but as an overall team effort, a pretty good one against number six team in the country. Yeah, I didn't expect that kind of effort. I mean, as you said, I was down on this team. And, you know, I admit it, I've been very critical of this team all season long. Uh, and I have a feeling that's not going to change in a few minutes when we get to oh, the play calling. You're, you got that correct. You you must know me well, Tom. But uh, it, it was a great, I mean, it was a very good effort. It took me by surprise. I mean, I thought they were going to go out, pretty much roll over and be like, okay, well, you know, we got this, the two Dakota States in the, the final two weeks of the season. We needed to win one in order to solidify our playoff spot. And it doesn't look very, it looked pretty glim. And you know what? I, I give him credit. That effort was, was very valiant. Uh, you know, Spack had his team ready to go. The one thing I will say is I was shocked to see Malachi Broadnax not only start but play the entire game. Jay Colby didn't take a snap. No, and he didn't. You saw him on the sideline. There were a couple times the we, camera got him. Especially in the fourth quarter, they had a couple shots of Colby. And I wonder, you know, I, I've been in television production trucks. I wonder if that was the, the director going, let's get to Colby, let's Correct. get to Colby. Because it seemed like there was a, a, a numerous shots on Colby and you do feel for him somewhat, you know. He he's been a, he he's was the guy all season long. He was anointed then... the starter last year, and I don't think many people could have predicted we would be in this spot where Jay Colby, in what was supposed to be his real outbreak of a year, you know, his coming out year, he's not even starting one of the most important games of the season. And I don't think there's any chance he starts next week. I I really liked the move of going to Malachi Brodnick. I mean, you you saw what he brings to the offense as far as. You know, being and the other thing it does on the read option, uh, it looked like it worked. I mean, and you, we jokingly said that you know the broadcasters weren't ready for Malachi Broadnax to start because they had the Jay Colby graphic with Malachi, you know, starting. But I mean, realistically, there's no way South Dakota State expected no. Malachi Broadnax to start, let alone probably even get a series or two, and then he goes out and starts the entire game. But just before we hit that subject. Wrapping up my thoughts on the game, I think that's just a backbreaker. Um, we'll get into it a little bit more, you know, a little bit later on. But I think that I, I think the season, as far as Redbird football goes, I think it's just about done. I think it's just about time for for Redbird hoops to take over. Just because I don't see a way. After you go out there, you, you lose a heartbreaker to South Dakota State. Now you got the best team, arguably the best team in the FCS the last six years coming into to Hancock Stadium. Uh, I just don't see it happening. And and they just roll. 
South Dakota, 49-14 yesterday. They rolled South Dakota. So I just, I think... Which also does not help the, the Redbirds. Correct. So, long story short, I, I think it was a backbreaker, and I think it pretty much solidifies this season is over. A lot from Mike. We'll get more to his thoughts in a moment, but I do want to go back to Brodnick's. In the depth chart that was released on Tuesday, there was, we we sometimes you see teams that are unsure of who the quarterback will be put an or so it'll be jake colby or malachi brodnicks if they're you know wanting to not reveal all their cards to the other team but this was a clear jake colby the starter there was no or malachi brodnicks was listed as the backup and there was nothing to indicate all week from what i could tell uh, i don't know if either of you had an impression that malachi brodnicks would be the starter in fact mike you were at the youngstown state game in, in youngstown Brodnicks was playing a, a high number of wide snaps at, as a high number of snaps at wide receiver. We we were talking about him being the next Cam Meredith moving over to wide receiver as far as the next week goes, and then even after the Tuesday press conference two weeks ago, so it was after the Youngstown State game. Uh, Brock's back, you know, obviously likes to talk to some of the people who stick around for the lunch, um, and you know he he jokingly said that he wanted to move Malachi to wide receiver. Yeah, as early as when he got on campus, but he's he's refused to kind of do so. He wants to play quarterback, and, and he, now, well, he's forced the hand as well. He's played well quarterback right. when he's been there, and and now to see this transpire, I mean, if you're Brock's back, I mean, the way he played yesterday as, as a redshirt freshman, you know, in, in probably one of the most high pressure, most important games of the season to this point, he plays very well. And, I, and like you said, I don't expect to see Jay Colby at starting at quarterback when the Bison come in next Saturday. It's, and it's interesting as well. The one thing it does is there's that not that much tape on Malachi Brodnick's right now. You know, there's a, there's a couple drives. Uh, I, I doubt South Dakota State prepared for him very much. And now North Dakota State, they'll have one full game and a couple other drives, but a lot less to work with in terms of you preparing for Brodnick's when you're comparing Colby, who's got now two years' worth of tape for opposing defensive coordinators to prepare and, for. And, and the one thing about that is it's actually, you know, you talk about how football can be, you know, like a chess match and, and gamesmanship. This could be it. I mean, maybe Brock was setting up Malachi for this 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 end of the stretch where you need to win. Malachi, we talk about how maybe Malachi gives you a better shot to win. I I, I don't. And, and maybe you think. It, I don't think Brock was playing. I, I have a lot you of because you only give North Dakota State one one true game of film with Malachi, and when you you I mean when you look at the play calling, it's just so drastically different when Colby and Malachi are in there. So you can't look at two games. Uh, uh, one Colby, one Malachi. I think okay. No matter what, they're running the same sets. They're running the same plays. More or less, you know, a lot of the plays, granted, are the same. But they don't. Run, I mean, the you're almost throwing the whole kitchen sink at him with Malachi. And, and so I, I mean, I, it, it's I just, a hypothetical. It's a hypothetical. But at the same time, you never know at this point. I, I don't think Brock was playing the long time. I think the the backbreaker for Jake. Uh, and, and when you look back at his crew, that Western Illinois game, the first half, played pretty well. You know, through the couple touchdowns and second half, wheels came off for Illinois. And I think the thing that I noticed, and when when I went back and watched that game, and even someone, you know, my dad texted me this, and he said, "I thought Illinois State was a running team." You know, he, he hadn't really watched them that much this year, but he put on the Western Illinois game, and he said, "How come they're throwing it so much if they, you know, there's this turmoil at the quarterback spot?" And it felt like this was almost a move to for Brock's back to say to the co-offensive coordinators, "All right, we're taking Jake out of it. We have a redshirt freshman." We can't throw the ball that much. We have to be protective. I think uh, Brodnick's only threw 17 passes in, in regulation yesterday and a couple in overtime. Uh, but so you really can't afford to throw the ball that much, and it allows Illinois State to play to its strength, which is no doubt the running game. And that's what they did yesterday, Nate. They, they went to the ground. Obviously, <coughs> excuse me, Brodnick's gives you another element on the ground. He's a much more capable runner than Jake Colby. He does have some athleticism to run it, but Brodnick's a, a, a true dual threat. And it paid off in dividends in a big way for Illinois State on the ground with Smith and Robinson and Brodnicks all getting involved in the ground game. Yeah, I really liked what Malachi brought to the offense. And, you know, as we've mentioned, uh, you know, we saw it in spurts this season. And it was, you know, kind of, you know, bizarre seeing him out there every, you know, drive. I was telling Mike when I loaded the game up on my computers when I watched it. And they came out in the field. And I'm, like, you know, tweeting out the opening tweet for the Vedette Sports. And I see the ball going down the field, and I just assume it's Colby throwing it, and it turns out it's Malachi. And I, just like my surprise level was, you know, incredibly high. And then I just thought maybe they're trying to catch him, you know, ambush him on the first drive, and then just no Colby, 
you know, for the whole first half. So that kind of was the red flag. If he didn't play the whole first half and it was, you know, close game, I assumed he wouldn't be in there. Um, just kind of talking about what Malachi brought to the offense, a lot of read options. Um, a lot of those worked really well. One thing I'd say about those is he seems to keep the ball pretty much every time on those, and then he goes up the middle or, or whatever with it. Uh, two things I don't like about that is it, it gets way too predictable. If he's just going to keep the ball every time on the read, another thing is is he's you know risking his health severely just you know just taking all these hits. So I'd like to see him kind of mix it up, hand the ball off once in a while. Uh, I want to see Artis Henderson out there with him a little bit. It seems like those two kind of have a good chemistry out there. Two Texas guys as well. Yeah. And Henderson and, and Brodnick. I like those two on the option. And I would also like to see a more traditional option ran. Um, you know, they run a lot of reads, like I said. But, you know, a couple times I wouldn't mind just seeing, you know, Brodnick take it and then, you know, take off to the to the end and then have, you know, Markel or James or whoever running with him and, you know, pitch it or, you know, knowing him, he'd probably keep it. But I just think it'd be, <laughs> <laughs> I just think it'd be a, a nice, you know, caveat to add to the offense. And, uh, you know, in, in regards to next week, I think it's Malachi's game. I think this is his offense now, and it'd be really interesting to see, you know, what Spags chooses to do. I think it'd be really interesting as well. If you're North Dakota State, though, you're preparing for Brodnick's, but you can't throw out all the Colby tape either because obviously this team has gone back and forth between quarterbacks, and I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think we're going to see much of Jay Colby, but you can't guarantee, you can't rule Jay Colby out of the game as well either. And that's. I think what Brock's back trying to do at this point, trying to create doubt in the mind of opposing defensive coordinators, because if you're game planning for Malachi Brodnick, you're game planning for one thing. If you're game planning for Jake Colby, it's an entirely different thing. And I do think uh, you brought up the option. The one thing about running the option is it takes a lot of time to really learn, especially you look at a team like Army or Navy that run the true triple option, the wishbone. That takes a lot of time to, to learn and develop, and that's not something I don't think you can implement week 11, week 12, and try to get the chemistry and timing you need because that's what the option's all about, timing and, and chemistry. And if you don't have either, one thing's off, you're going to be in big trouble. Mike, what do you think? Well, I thought Nate made an interesting point as far as R.T. Henderson and Malachi Broadnecks uh, being on the field together because you got to think about the chemistry that they've built, not only this year, but last year, both red-shirted, both from Texas, and they probably ran the scout team. You, you, you think back to last year, they ran the scout team together. So, I mean, you know those te- those two have run together. They know each other. They know each other's tendencies. I mean, and it sounds funny, and, and it's so cliche, but it's so true. You know, after going through, you know, practices and whatnot, obviously not at the college level, but the people you run with in practice, I mean, you truly gain a chemistry with and know their tendencies know where they're going know what they're going to do if, you know if, if this guy if the if the defensive end's closing in at this time or, or whatever certain defensive looks Artis and Malachi at that point kind of know each other and I get it's different the scout team rep and here's what I would rep. say to that Mike though I think it's tough because James Robinson looks incredible the second half of the season correct and you and, can't you, you can't and Markel Smith replace, I'm not saying replace those two but I mean, what, I'd, free Artis a little bit, man. I just think it's tough. I don't think there's an. I just think between Robinson and Smith right now, there's just not that many uh, carries and and even just snaps to go around for the rest of the running backs. I mean, we saw what Jordan Burge is capable of. We saw what Henderson's been capable of. Uh, so I think you know they try to get Henderson involved in the kickoffs. They're trying to get him involved. I just think you've seen him. You've seen him make a couple explosive special teams plays. Yes. You've seen what he could do, and I know you're. I, I get it. You because at that point, if you're trying to split up snaps, then it's like a new you know, new back every three downs. But I just I you got. I understand what you guys are saying, and get him even just a couple snaps would probably be helpful. It's just tough when Robinson's playing that well. It's hard to even get Smith in there sometimes, and so try to get another running back in there is going to be a challenge for the offense. But it's a good challenge to have. Now I, I want to turn our attention to. Before we get to some of the, the negatives, what else stood out to you guys positively from this 27-24 loss? I, I, I'll tell you, I was really impressed with just the fight in this team. Uh, every time they've been you know, back against the wall this season, they've found a way to make it competitive games. They've won a couple of them, and they've put themselves in the conversation. All they have to do is win one game. I know, obviously, that's easier said than done, but if you win one game this weekend, you're in the tournament, most likely. Uh, if you don't, you're probably on the outside looking in, but if you're a football team, that's all you can ask for. An opportunity, one game, and you're in. You know, this tournament really starts for them this week. After that point, you're going to have to win no matter what, so if you're, I'm sure Brock's back and his coaches are telling the players that same thing. If you want to make the tournament, it starts now. Start winning now. 
So what, what else stood out to you positively, Nate? Yeah, I, I agree with your point that this week will be essentially a playoff game for ISU. Um, in terms of what stood out, I think, yeah, I think the fight was definitely something that came to mind for me. I know at the, you know, in that second half where, you know, it's a scoreless third quarter and a, you know, pretty slow fourth until their quarterback, Christian, you know, broke off a, what, 84-yard QB draw on third down. I mean, that's just you know back breaking speaking of that word and so that was just a tough way to go but i assume you know they march right back down the field and tie it up and give their chance or give their team a chance in overtime um unfortunately for them you know kind of stalled out in in overtime you know i want to say that they ran or they they went for the the passing game in overtime which i also thought was kind of interesting but um you know i thought slattery would make the kick but you know he didn't come through uh Vinatieri did but yeah so those are the two things that stood out to me: the fight, and in particular, the way that they got back down the field after a, you know, a, a 84-yard run with limited minutes left, and also the defense in the second half, which kept their team in it and continuously gave the Redbirds um, solid field position, which they probably should have took more advantage of. One thing I will say before we get to the play calling, and I, I had serious qualms about the play calling. I know Mike was was very frustrated with the play calling. One thing that's interesting about this upcoming game, you think about NFL teams a lot of times. Week 17, teams that are definitely in the playoffs, they have a tendency to rest players, tendency to maybe take their foot off the pedal. I'm not saying North Dakota State will do that, but... I don't think they can, because if, if they take the foot off the pedal right now, I mean, they're talking about giving up their share of the title, of the, the regular season title. So I think that's what's keeping them in. That's fair. I will say this, though. I don't think a team like North Dakota State cares much about regular season titles as they do national championships. And if... I, you know, I, I haven't even looked that much into them yet, to be honest. You know, we usually do that during the week. But if, if, even if there's just a couple guys that they say, you know what, maybe he's going to play less snaps or he's going to get let just because they're already banged up. The other thing is this. Teams with desperation oftentimes win games. You have to find that level of desperation. I don't know if North Dakota State will have that just because they're in the tournament. And as you mentioned, they do want to win that. But it's a different level of fear and desperation on one side, Illinois State, they have to win. On the other side, North Dakota State loses, they're going to be okay. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to hurt them. It's going to hurt their seeding. It's going to hurt a couple of things, but it's not going to It's not going to kill them. That's all I'm saying. The, the, the one thing I will say, and, and I get we talked about, I know I threw that regular season title out there. The other thing that's on the line for them, I mean, they did lose last week to South Dakota State. So, I mean, right now, I believe they were sitting at fifth. They lose this week they might lose a bye. I don't. That's a team that does not want to lose their bye because, like you I said, agree. they're banged up. They're banged up. That that bye week going into the playoffs is huge, and there's only eight of them. And they lose to Illinois State. You're not. You're not getting that bye. So I mean, you're, they're fighting for a bye week now too. Um, I, I agree. I don't think they're going to come out with the the same sense of urgency and desperation that they would. Uh, you know, a, a week. A week eight game. I mean, they're coming in now, and and they know they're going in. They know they know they got a playoff spot. They know they're going to probably at least clinch a share. I mean, a lot of stuff has to has to go down next Saturday for them not to at least clinch a share of the regular season Valley title. So I mean, they know that they've got a lot locked up, but that bye week is huge. And so I think they're playing for the bye. That's what they're doing next week. Is they're playing for a bye. Obviously, we don't know what the standings are. The the latest week standings are. I'm assuming that they're not moving because the top the top six I believe didn't lose. Um, so I think they're going to probably stay at five, and if they lose, they're going to bounce out of that. I, I don't see a I don't see a, a, a way that they lose to Illinois State and still get that stay within the probably not for a bye. So I, they're playing for that bye, and that's big. That's really really big. We'll talk more about that game uh, on Wednesday's edition. Let's turn now to the play calling, and I want to start. I know everyone's going to we're going to talk a lot about the uh, over to the overtime play calling. I want to start with the end of the fourth quarter play calling. Illinois State gets the ball back. I think it was about a minute 15, minute, like a minute 20. Yeah, minute 15. Minute, minute 15, minute, minute 20 left all in the ball game. All three timeouts. But South Dakota State also had all three timeouts. So the Redbirds clearly did not, and they were deep in their own zone. So they clearly did not want to give the ball back to South Dakota State with 40 seconds left, ball around, even maybe just say midfielder, maybe plus 10 on their own side. They obviously didn't want to do that. And I understood that. Uh, we can. I think Mike might disagree with me on this, but I, I, I will say I understand handing the ball off, but you have the first down. And South Dakota State's now, I believe, out of timeouts. They had one left. and there's, They burned two. They burned two. two. And so they have one timeout left. There's about 48. It was, I think it was 50 seconds when the, when the first down was converted. Clock stops for the chains to be moved. Illinois State's not hustling up to the line. They're not trying to 
operate in any uh, sense of urgency. And that was what was confusing to me. At that point, you'd moved far enough down the field where you probably don't have to worry about the uh, uh, play coming back to you the other way. I understand Brodnick's is a redshirt freshman on the road in his first career start. But... You're going to continue to run the ball, and you're going to run the ball twice, and that's it. That's the end of the, the at the end of the regulation period. I mean, why not throw a screen? Why not try to throw a safe pass that you feel okay, Malachi? The worst that happens is if it's not open, throw it away. Whatever you can st- afford to stop the clock at least once. There, I, I understand you don't want to give them the ball back, but not one pass in that situation. And then the opposite happened in overtime, where they started throwing the ball left and right when they didn't need to. So. It felt like they got away from what they were doing all game in overtime. But even before we get to that, at the end of the actual game in regulation, not one pass. I, I just don't understand. How do you not throw a screen to someone like James Robinson who was playing so well? Give him some blockers. Give it to a playmaker. and see if you can make something happen. Give it to Spencer Schnell. Give him a shot. Just to run out that clock and say, we're playing for overtime, I didn't understand. I, I hated that play calling. Uh, especially because it's a team that needs a victory. I mean, I don't... Me personally, I don't want to go to Brookings and go to overtime. I, I, that's not what I want to do, especially with the redshirt freshman at quarterback. That's not what I want, especially because you played so well all game long to get to that point. Momentum was on your side. You just scored the touchdown. Right. We got to stop. To give yourself an opportunity to win at the end of the game is the object of the of the game. That's what you want to do. You want to give yourself an opportunity to win the game. You have a minute left, and you have an opportunity to win the game. Upset South Dakota State. Clinch your ticket to the playoffs. And you pretty much say, let's go to overtime. I, I don't understand it. I, I do not understand where, and you just drastically, you go from, actually, I, mean, I was, throughout the entire game, I was actually pleasantly surprised with the play calling, and I was happy with it. And I want to say this. This is, we've, we've given a lot of flack uh, to the co-offensive coordinators. I don't think this actually falls down. This is the head coach. The head coach is the person that, you know, I'm sure he goes to the one of the offensive coordinators, thinks one's upstairs, one downstairs. Uh, they're at, both actually upstairs. Are they both they're upstairs? Both in the box. Interesting. Well, I'm sure he, I'm obviously they can communicate correct, either correct. way. Oh, yeah. uh, but I'm sure he said to them, "We want to go to over." You know, or even if he didn't say that, he said, "We're going to be conservative here." You know that. So that comes from the head coach. I don't think this is necessarily on the co-offensive correct. coordinators. That was clearly Broxback saying, "We have a redshirt freshman quarterback. We have a good defense, and we have a good kicker. I trust those in overtime." Uh, and obviously, it's easier to second guess now that it didn't work, but. I, I just did not understand that decision. Obviously, kicking games, college kickers are shaky at best. Mm-hmm. Sean Slattery's been very good this season. Unfortunately, had to miss, pick the wrong time to miss. Uh, and then, you know, you put it in the hands of, of a Vinatieri, and I just don't like that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just did not understand that play calling towards the end of the game at all. And then we go to overtime, and I think this is where most Redbird fans were really, really upset. We talked about how great the running game was how Malachi Brodnish brought this whole running element, and what do they do when they're one series in overtime? They get the ball first. You have to put up points. Pass, pass, pass. And I just I, I didn't understand it at all. Especially, why not run it? I mean, I probably ran it on first down, but on that second down, you had to run it on that second down, I think, just because you get even four yards. You've set up a manageable third down, and... To try to convert third and ten is difficult. Third and five, you know, you can you ha- open up the playbook a lot more for someone like Malachi Brodnick's. Nate, you watched the whole game. You know, you were covering it. I, I'm just curious what you thought of that overtime play calling. Oh, I <clears throat> I was you know very surprised, uh, just like many others, I believe. So just kind of going through that 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 possession here. They start off with the screen pass to Dispenser Snell, three yards. I love it. So it's second and seven. To me, second and seven, that's an obvious run. It, whether that be, you know, QB drop the middle with Malachi, or I'm giving it to Robinson. I'm giving it to Robinson up the gut and yeah, saying, get us, saying. get us four yards uh, here, make it third and three. So second and seven, I think that they, with a pass to, you know, Anthony Fowler, in, incomplete. So now it's third and seven all of a sudden. That's not Malachi's game, a, a third and seven. That, that's just that's not him. He's forced to use his arm in that situation on third and seven and doesn't come up with it again. And to me, I, I just, yeah, so it really just comes down to that second down play. Second down, you need to run it again, see if James can get you three or four, and then on third and three, then you have the option of, of many things you could almost even run it again or you could you know another screen or another you know honestly, read option or anything I, I just can't believe you know robinson's averaging five yards a carry so is smith and, and they and they pass it three straight times just incredible it, honestly if you're in third and three and you run the ball you could make that a four down situation you could say you know what we're trying to get this first down we're trying to win this game with a touchdown 
and, and by not running it on second down, that really takes going for it on fourth down out of play. You're forcing yourself into a long third down where you have to throw the ball. The defense knows you have to throw the ball. That's probably Malachi's biggest strength is that defense. he's he's able to open up the passing game by the fact that he runs it so often that when he does throw it, it catches the defense off guard. We're not catching anybody off guard on third and seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this is where, for a moment, I, I did not blame the offensive coordinators at all at the end of game sequence and, and regulation, but... I think you do have to question somewhat the play calling in overtime, and that does fall somewhat on them. And I know we, we've talked about them before, and I, I never want to call for them jobs, but I think they've definitely had their up-and-down season, and they've struggled uh, at times. And I think they've struggled to figure out what this team is, and it's a run-first team. And to get away from that, Mike, just it really didn't make any sense to me in overtime. No, put the ball in in your workhorse. I mean, and I just want to say it is easy to second guess this now. Obviously, that they lost this game, but both Mike and I were sitting together, and we didn't like these play calls in real time. No, and and the thing that really gets me is the fact that in college overtime, you're literally sitting five to ten yards, depending on your kicker, out of field goal range. I mean, give your ball to give the ball to Malachi, or uh, give the excuse me, give, put the ball in James Robinson's hands, Markel Smith. Whoever you want, it doesn't matter which one it is because either one's a workhorse and either one's a dog, and just go get yards. But all I'm going to say is it's it's frustrating to see Illinois State squander that one away. I think that's what they did. They squandered that one away. And credit to the defense. The defense did what it had to do. They forced the field goal, and Benetieri comes through. That was a difficult one to swallow. Now, I, you know, I think we've talked enough about the play calling. I think we just have to look at where this season's going. I know... Mike said it's over, in his opinion. Nate, I wonder what you think. I, I, I personally don't think the season's over. They have to win next week, obviously. I don't think there's any way 6-5 and five gets them in. South Dakota's not doing them any favors by continuing to struggle. And you look at their wins right now. Butler, that's a non-scholarship team. Eastern, that's looking like a better win. I'll give them that. Then after that, Missouri State, Indiana State, neither of those very impressive. South Dakota, that's a good win still, but not a great win, which it was at the time. And Youngstown State, you know, I mean, I think that's a good football team, but I don't think the, the record shows that for Youngstown State. I don't think that really helps them. So if those are your six wins, uh, I just don't see any way for you to get in, especially that 42-7 loss against Southern is the one that if they don't make the tournament, they're going to be really kicking themselves about. Because 7-4 and four probably gets you in, but 6-5 and five with the loss to Southern Illinois probably doesn't. Yeah, I, I, I feel the exact same way. I still, looking back on that Southern Illinois game, I cannot believe that they lost that game, especially to the tune of 42-7. to Just, you know, really shocking. But anyways, uh, no, I'm not ready to, you know, write the season off like Mike here. Um, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> very tough game, of course, North Dakota State. <coughs> but, you know, I, I feel like ISU, I think they're going to come out and I think they're going to compete just like South Dakota State just this past weekend. They, you know, Brock Spack knows how to have his team ready. I think they're yeah, going to be ready. At home. They've been good at home this season. They've been well. really, really good at home, uh, you know, save for a half against Western Illinois, unfortunately, last couple weeks ago. But, you know, they're going to be ready, and I, th- I expect it to be a close game. And, you know, I'm not going to – I'm not ready to make my prediction yet. That'll be on Wednesday. But I think it's going to be a really tough game, and, you know, I'm not ready to, to you know, write the season off quite yet. Be really interesting. One thing I think uh, the, the Brock's back wishes probably that it wasn't over Thanksgiving break. Students will leave on Friday. That game's on Saturday. The wonder where the crowd will be. Hopefully, it's a good crowd for the Redbirds' sake. They're going to need it. It's definitely not easy to beat North Dakota State. And like I, I know you said, the season's over. Can you elaborate just a little bit before we turn our attention to men's basketball? Well, I just think that. This season's been an absolute roller coaster. You don't know what Illinois State team's coming out on a weekly basis, and that's just true. And now, you don't know what the quarterback situation is because, let's be honest, all season long, they've not been very open about their quarterback situation. Even when Brock Speck's been asked about it, he's been kind of deflective in a way as far as, you know, if the, if the situation is right, we're going to play Malachi. Or if the situation is right, Jake will play. It's You know, so, so, so it hasn't been very clear, very open. And you're... You, you put your season on the line against the best team, arguably, in the FCS the last six seasons. And I just don't see it happening. Like we said, 6-5 and five does not get you in. You don't have a very big win, arguably. You know, South Dakota's, South Dakota's, South Dakota's, South Dakota's a big win. A big win, but it, that doesn't get you in at 6-5. No. and five. So, you know, you have to win. And This is not last year's bubble. Last no, year's bubble was no, much softer. 
And a win against Northwestern, I think, really I think weighed heavily in, in the minds of, of the tournament committee. I mean, because if you just go back to last year's team, say they lose to Northwestern and pick up a sixth win elsewhere, they don't even in. know if they're, they're getting not. in. I mean, it's that Northwestern win. You don't have a Northwestern win this year. No. South Dakota is not a Northwestern win. So, you know, like I said, I've been very critical of this team all season long. Uh, I'm going to continue to be, and I think that obviously before looking at, you know, the numbers and, and, and crunching all that, just on the base of things, I don't see Illinois State beating North Dakota State on Saturday, and I see them on the outside looking in, and, and everybody turns their attention over to Redbird Arena and Redbird Hoops. I will say this, though. Brock's back has probably forgotten more football than everyone in this room combined knows. He's a he's a hell of a coach, and I, I think everyone agree with that. And he, I think he's done a good job this season overall, especially when the team has had its back against the wall. This is the ultimate situation. Look at this season. You mentioned our roller coaster, Mike. And when you said that, I started thinking about it. 4-0 start, top 10 in the country, two-game losing streak, sort of unexplicably, especially the loss uh, against Southern. Then you respond to two-game winning streak, put yourself back in the top 10, back top 15, and now a two-game losing streak once again. Something's got to give this upcoming Saturday. It'll be really interesting to watch what happens. Now we turn. Hey, before we go, this is something that we've talked a lot about. Do you think they stay in the top 25? Yes, I mean twenty-seven, twenty-four in overtime to the numbers. I think six. they drop. I think they go to like twenty-three. Yeah, twenty-four. I mean, if they didn't drop out of the Southern game, I was convinced they were going to drop out after that Southern game. They didn't. I, I don't see how they drop out now. Uh, yeah, I don't either. I, I keep them in there as well. Six and four, still pretty solid mark. If you get to seven and four, obviously, you know, you look a lot better. But be interesting to see this upcoming Saturday. We'll talk more about the North Dakota State game. We'll break down the Bison coming up on Wednesday. Now we turn our attention. I'm really excited for this. Uh, to the men's basketball team tipped off their season yesterday. First off, just what a great game! I mean, that was wow. a really fun game it's to a watch. Classic up in college basketball. Yeah, it was. Ooh, I love the barn burners. Mm-hmm. I love the barn burners. Ninety-eight or ninety-eight, eighty-seven. Ooh, not like a lot that. of defense to be played. And I know you talked to Dan Muller when the plane landed in Normal. Uh, he called you up, and he was not very happy with the defense. We'll talk about that in a minute. But just overall, uh, really interesting to watch this Redbird team for the first time this season. And we got a great game. Unfortunately, Redbirds come out on the wrong side of it. But, Mike, just your reflections on game number one of this 2017-2018 season. Well, we all know I'm a bit more optimistic with this Redbird Hoops team than, than some are. Basically, you and I have flipped. I, I'm more Correct. optimistic about the football team, and you're more optimistic about the basketball team. Um, and I was, I was surprised. I thought they were going to come out and play well. To me, they exceeded my expectations. I mean, I didn't set the bar incredibly high. But they surpassed my expectations for yesterday. Obviously, we're talking mostly on the offensive because there was not much defense to be had. Um, there's question marks. There's a lot of question marks with this team. But the same thing that Dan Muller said all offseason long and, and at media day and on Saturday when I talked to him, uh, he, he said, you know, Phil Fain, Keyshawn Evans, William Tinsley, and Malik Yarbrough are going to be the heart and soul of this team. You kind of saw that. Malik Yarbrough, I mean, obviously, kind of quietly almost had a triple-double. Yeah. Uh, but William Tinsley didn't step up. I think that one hurt them a little bit. Tinsley didn't have a very good game. But you look at Keyshawn Evans and Phil Fain. You're going to – the first ten minutes of that basketball game showed you what Phil Fain's going to be this team. Scored the first nine points for Illinois State. That was, a, that was what really impressed me. I mean, Fain was not a scoring option last year. I mean, we talked about he was the fourth or fifth option and was really capable of doing just a couple of things. This – Really, I liked when he would step out to the beyond the arc and then pump fake and drive in. I thought that was really impressive. Let's start with the positives. Uh, obviously, I, I think I have some reservations about this team, but I want to talk about what I liked from this game. Keyshawn Evans, uh, mm-hmm. guy who shot 43% from three last year, came out. Uh, I think it was the Drake game last year where he had five or six threes, and it reminded me of that. He yeah. came out, hit threes from all over the place. At one point, it was 7-12 from three. I mean, that's an incredible percentage. Uh he was really, really good. He really impressed me, and it, it looks like he's ready to handle that sh- uh, that scoring load. Uh, obviously, I don't think we're going to get 28 a game from him, but he's certainly capable of going off like that when the Redbirds need him to do so. That was impressive. Phil Fain really liked his ability to kind of step beyond the arc. As mentioned, just driving in. Seemed like he's really worked on that shot as well, and around the rim, he's still really, really tremendous. Uh and then Taylor Broingo. Uh, I'll talk about his defense in the negative section, but offensively, <laughs> he was really, really good. And he didn't look scared. You know, for a true freshman, I mean, this is a guy who six months ago was playing high school basketball 
at the one or two A level. So I mean, this is you know a small town kid to go out there on the road in a hostile environment a back, and back to back A Sun NCAA uh, yeah. tournament team. I mean, Dunk City. That, I mean, that he played very, very well, and that's the one thing Dan said. And that's the one thing I asked him because you kind of expected, he wanted the ball. You kind of expected Keyshawn to have a good game. You kind of expected Phil to have a good game. Uh, granted, I don't think we expected them to have as good of games as they did, but you didn't see Taylor Beringa's game coming. So I, I, I asked him. I said, Dan, I was like, he did not play like a freshman today. I said, did you? Did is that something you've seen in practice? Like, did you? Did, did you expect that? Did you think we could see that? And he said, no. He said, going into freshmen's. You know, first couple weeks, first couple games, you, you kind of have hopes and you kind of want to see what they can do. He goes, but you never expect to see that. And he just said, that's the one thing that he said that you can expect to see all season long is bringing a shoot with confidence. He said the one thing that he has in, is confidence, and, and he will shoot. And he said, you can expect him to burn it up like that. Uh, he finished with 14, I uh, believe it was four three-pointers. And I'll tell you what, Bruninga – Looked very, very good offensively, and I was saying, "Oh, Tom, you, you, you might go back uh, and look at Bernie's performance a little bit differently." Um, I want to compliment him, though. I mean, I'm going to talk about his defense, and I think part of it is that he's he's in a tough spot playing the four. We'll get to that in a moment, but offensively, he came out and was ready to play. And this is a guy. I mean, we're looking. We have some of the old vedette uh, front pages uh, pasted around the office. I'm looking at one right now about Mikhail McIntosh leaving, and you look right below it. Taylor Bringa for a long time was considered a walk-on. It really wasn't until McIntosh left and that scholarship opened up that he was even offered a scholarship. And that, you know, I mean, he averaged 33 points and 11 and a half rebounds at Illinois Bluffs, but that's, you know, at, at the one or two-way level. So that's not a extremely high level of basketball. And at six foot eight, he did a lot of things that just guys at that level couldn't handle. So to, to see what he was able to do was really impressive because I think there was some doubters out there that said, why? Why is Illinois State offering this kid a scholarship? He came from a small school. He put up good numbers because he's six foot eight and playing against you know six foot two centers at the one A level. But he came out and showed why he got the scholarship. That was really impressive. And Link Yarbrough, he had an up and down performance. I would say positive though. He really moved the ball. He didn't. He didn't play, uh, shoot the ball very well yesterday, but he really moved the ball well uh, offensively, and he was able to get some rebounds as well. And that's where a state area where. Illinois State needed help. What else stood out to you positively, Mike, from yesterday's game? Well, the the last thing that I'll talk about is because there's a lot of negatives as far as this this game went, but you liked how this team played together. This is a brand new team when you look at it as far as the starters. I mean, you've seen Madison Williams start for this team. I, I didn't. I know we talked about how you're going to see new faces. But I don't know when when this team is healthy how often Madison Williams is going to start. But the one thing that I was very, very pleased with out of this team is how well they played together, especially in an environment like that. And you've seen those – I mean, we watched it. The runs that each team was putting together, there were a couple times where it was like, okay, Florida Gulf Coast is going to pull away here. I mean, they were, when they got their largest lead of the game at 6 – but they were on. It was like an 11-0 run, and they've got their largest lead to six, and that place was loud. Obviously, we weren't there, but from watching it, it seemed very, very loud. And I was like, this team might crumble. I mean, this this team looks tired. This team looks like they don't have much left in them, and they stayed in it. And so that's my biggest thing: is they were able to stay in it. They played together, and and they look like a unit that that can get it done this year. Obviously, I think they're going to take their lumps and bruises, but I, I think this is a team that, that can get the job done. Uh, Nate, anything that stood out to you positively? I know you were also covering the football game, so a little bit of double duty. But what stood out to you positively from this Illinois State uh, tough defeat at Florida Gulf Coast? Yeah, so I, I caught most of the game on ESPN3. Um, it was like a rec style game, it seemed like. I was watching one at like the Pretty YMCA or something. You know, it, it was fun to watch. Um, definitely some positives <coughs> to take from it. I'll just kind of, you know, bullet style hit this real quick uh phil fain was you know he showed he's going to be a scoring presence that was really encouraging to see and not only that but he was you know battling down there in the boards that was great to see um malik yarbrough he didn't necessarily get it done scoring as he did in the exhibition um but you know he still showed that he will be able to it almost it almost seems that you know it, it's just it, it's just crazy watching him run the point guard at six six and just his you know tall you know, physical frame, just him running the offense is just, you know, exciting already. So, you know, it seems like he's just going to be a triple threat. Um, I was kind of 
you know, I, I guess we are talking about the positives, but William Tinsley, I was expecting a little bit more out of him. Uh, we'll talk about that. And, um, yeah, and, and, of course, Keyshawn. I mean, how could I leave him out of the positives? It seemed like he was shooting into an ocean for a little bit there. So, <laughs> I mean, that was definitely encouraging. And, uh, yeah, so those, those are my positives, I'd say. So those are the positives. Uh, off, outstanding offensive performance. Uh, now I turn to the negatives. Um, the, the biggest negative, I felt like, and I know there's people, there's people out, uh, there's people injured, there's players that have left the team for personal reasons that we'll get into. Eight only, only eight scholarship players available yesterday. Uh, that bench, I don't know if you guys saw the bench situation it was interesting, where they put the three scholarship players right next to Mueller, and then there was a couple of assistant coaches <laughs> before Hine and uh, the other walk-on, Lou Willer, was all were sitting kind of over by themselves wearing those vests. Sort of interesting to look at, and it did. It was sort of almost a reminder that how short this bench was. You looked at it; it looked like a three-person bench, really. <laughs> um, Give Dan credit, first of all. I know that we're getting a little off topic, but give Dan credit for the rotations he put yes. in. Yes. Give Dan credit. I, I'll just say this, though. Any uh, rotation that right now, they had a one point out on the floor, Taylor Boringa at the four, they had Martin, and they had Gasman out there all together. That's a group that I don't think can play another minute this season. That's a As, very, that's a, very uh, a, a suspect, to say the least. Line especially there. defensively. Yeah, I mean, that is just a liability. Um, I, I want to start uh, on the negative side. It feels like they're just missing one body up front. Uh, I, we were just talking off the air about Christian Romine. He's a guy, a local product that played at UTEP for a season. They were really hoping they could maybe count on him. He's left the team for personal reasons at the moment. Uh, unsure if they're going to get him back. Obviously, David Enjai's hurt. And Taylor Bruinga is just not a four. He, uh, as good as he was offensively, Very solid three. as good as he was offensively, he was almost that poor defensively, in my opinion. Uh, and I know it's his first, and I, I don't want to be too harsh on him because he did play well, but it, 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 you know, he, that's not a good, it's not his fault, I would even say. That's just not a situation he can be, you know, put in, I don't, I would say. I, obviously, they don't have many other options, but. I think back. They put him in with about six minutes left with four fouls. And if I'm Dan Muller, I'm probably just saying to Taylor, get us the other under four timeout. Get us to the under four timeout so we can put Phil back in so we can get everyone, our starters, back out there. Get us two minutes without getting a foul. And he, he couldn't get to the under four without committing his fifth foul. Uh, he's just in a situation where his only defense is really fouling people because he just doesn't have the strength. He's a wiry kid right now, and he's a kid. You know, he's a, he's a kid that was playing high school basketball six months ago. So to put him in that spot defensively was was worrisome. Madison Williams as well. I'm an, I'm a big proponent of Madison Williams. Did not play very well yesterday. Did not look like he was necessarily deserving of that starting spot yesterday. Or ready? Or ready. I, I argue he wasn't yeah. ready. And, you know, he. I think back to that. That two-handed contest on that three where he body-checked uh, the Florida Gulf Coast player, that kind of summed up his day for me. He was They showed him the replay. He, they're playing a 2-3 zone, which I thought was interesting. I liked it. Trying to change something up, and you know, I'll be interested to see if they stay with it after 97 points. I don't know if it was necessarily successful, but in a 2-3 zone, you basically have to stay on your side of the free-throw line at all times unless the ball's rotated up top and you have to go out. And Williams was all the way on the other side of the free throw line. He was past the free throw line on the right side when he was playing the left side of the 2-3 zone. They worked the ball around the perimeter, get it to that left side. So he was probably four steps late. And that's why he had to go up there with two hands, try to contest. And if you're that late, you're going to have those problems. So defensively, just a whole lot of issues. Uh, and I think the biggest one, going long term, is David Enjai going to fix a, a negative 20 rebound rating? I, I just don't see the way... David unless he starts averaging, you know, 15 rebounds a game, that he's going to fix all the problems they have, especially on the rebounding side. Uh, this team feels like it's missing one forward. If you had, you know, I hate to keep going back to the transfers, but if you had somebody like a Dante, you know, Deontay Hawkins or somebody that could just get in there and rebound a little bit, even just any, just any player uh, to DJ one more. Clayton. One guy, guy could guy could jump. Guy wasn't very big, but he could jump. You needs you just need one more guy with size, and this team just just doesn't seem like it seems like it's one player short at the moment. I know they have injuries, but it feels like it's one player short in the front court right now. The one thing that I'll say before we wrap up here is I'm going back to Taylor Berninga. I he was not brought here to play defense. We know that he's a he's an offensive first player and arguably an offensive only player which hurts because it, this is a team that you look back in past couple years 
This is a team, and I asked Dan about this again yesterday. I said, "This is a defense. I mean, this is a, this is a coaching staff and a team that usually is defensive minded first. <laughs> this team last year prided itself on its defense. Yeah, and, and that's what I said. And I said, you know, ninety eight points isn't like you guys. That's not like that's not like a team that you coach. And he said that that won't cut it. You, that will you, not cut it. You you talked to Dan Muller. What what was his uh, what what were you sensing from him? What was his mood like? What was he saying to you in that post game interview after the plane ride back from Fort Myers? Uh, very mixed. I mean, you you could tell that he was very optimistic and excited about 87 it. 87 points is, is a great number. Correct. But the problem is you score you 87 points. <laughs> this, the, the problem is you score 87 and you still lose by double digits. That's 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 another way I didn't even look at it that way. You still lose by double digits. But he, the one thing I will say is, like I said, he sounded optimistic about this group. He sounded very excited about how his team played offensively. Very, very disappointed about how this team played defensively. Um was not happy with the overall defensive effort. Was he surprisingly? I asked him. I said because a lot of it was when you look at it, and we talked about this. The second that you had Phil or Malik go to the bench, they were outsized incredibly. And so I asked him. I said, "Is that something that you kind of sensed in the game? Was that the second one of those two left the floor? You guys are going to be outsized, and does that did that account for the fact that they got out rebounded by twenty and then allowed forty eight points in the point in the paint?" And he said, "Points in the paint will fix itself." The other thing that he said, "I'm okay with being out rebounded. It's the fact that it's by." The mar- large margin it was, and the fact that we need to let them make them miss shots. And I, I, I just I, I I will say this though: seventeen and zero last season when they out rebounded opponents. I don't see. You're talking the who they get out rebound this year. I, I you're talking Drake. They're gonna they're gonna maybe Charleston Southern, no, maybe no. Quincy. I mean, there's not how many teams can they realistically out rebound? I I just that's what concerns me about this team. I know the depth is an issue because of injuries and because of other reasons right now. And and some of that will fix itself with time. But I just don't see any way the rebounding fixes itself in time. I, I'm just it feels like they're one guy short of the front court. Because even when you have David Njai playing more minutes, it feel like it feels like Taylor Bringo's role will be great if he's playing fifteen to eighteen minutes instead of whatever he played yesterday, we're probably more in the twenty to twenty two range. Uh, getting him five less minutes on defense will be helpful, but it still feels like David Njai can't fix all the defensive problems. No, I agree. And, and the last thing I'll say about this team for today is they've got a big test coming up as far as South Carolina goes. Yeah. And you cannot play offensively or defensively the same way you did against Florida Gulf Coast for a few reasons. This is a Final Four team yeah. from a year ago, and they're always, I mean, Jesus, they, they, run, it's like they run themselves like a military over there. So, Frank Barnes can certainly coach him up. I was going to say. So the thing is, is defensively, if you have that same effort, South Carolina might put up like 115. Uh, I, I, and then the last thing is, is their their offensive effort, as far as I'm not talking about point-wise, they need to pound the glass because if they get out-rebounded, there's no second-chance opportunities. It's a big test. I'm not concerned moving forward as far as long-term. I'm concerned short term as far as well, these next up these next non conference games coming up that's could a, get pretty ugly. That, that's where I'm concerned. Long term I think these will solve. But this short term problem could become a long term problem if this team loses confidence. And I think that's something you have to worry about with a really difficult non conference schedule, especially they go 0 three in Myrtle Beach. You know, that's not a good start. You don't want to be 0 four before you even get back to your home court for the first time. I think this team is a little bit I think this team knows who they are. I think this team is confident after last year's showing. I mean, a couple of these guys walk around with a chip on their shoulder. And and so I, I think they'll be fine as far as confidence goes. Obviously, when the moment comes and it happens and they you know need to you know stand tall and have some confidence, maybe then that's that's when we'll really see how, how confident this team really is. But as far as the confidence factor, I don't think it will be a problem. I think these guys feel pretty good about themselves. And I think they know. I think they know that they need to get to conference. I think they know non-conference schedule is going to be tough. They're going to struggle. And I think they themselves even think, we just need to get to Valley play, show what we can do, get healthy, and from there – well, you know, the rest will take care of itself. One thing that I will say is interesting, Mike. I did want to ask you about this. It did feel like yesterday some of the ales of this team were fixed by great shooting. Shot 51% from the field. I outshot Florida Gulf Coast by 2%. And, and made, you know, a high number of threes, 14 threes in the game as well. 
If the shooting's not there, that's what, what I'm really worried about this they'll, team. They'll bury themselves. They'll dig their own grave if they can't shoot. If they come out one night and have an off-night shooting, they'll dig themselves. This is a team grave. that really relies on the three ball. A couple guys I want to talk before we go. Uh, I I was I We had differing opinions on Jaron Martin's game. I was more impressed with him than I think you were. He did some stuff for me. Obviously, I don't think he's, he's probably a starter, but he did some stuff. He had a corner three. He did enough to me where he could be a, a third or fourth guard on this team and play some minutes. Uh, the other guy I want to talk about, Isaac Gassman. He's a guy that a lot of people really talked about, really praised a lot. And you talked to people in the in, inside the Redbird, uh, inside the Red Redbird Arena, inside the coaching staff, inside this program. They're really positive about Isaac Gassman. And through two games, he started the the exhibition yesterday. Really hasn't done anything offensively, and obviously he struggled defensively at times. Uh, I'm surprised we haven't seen him be more aggressive offensively. Uh, I don't. I'm, I'm a. I don't. I'm not very optimistic about Jaron Martin for one, and I'm not very optimistic about Isaac Gassman. Uh, I think the problem is right now you need one of those guys to play well, and correct. It, it could and be. I think some... it's going to come out of Martin. I think it's going to come out of Martin because there's not. I don't think there's much there with, with Isaac Gassman, and it's not a knock on him. It's just he, he looks over. He looked very overmatched. He looked very overmatched. And I'll say this: it's his first. It's his first. And he didn't game. play all of last year right. as well. It's his first, first competitive player. game in over a year. I, I I just don't. I think he. I think he. Athletic wise, athleticism is going to hurt him. This is a league that's very athletic. I mean, I from what I seen against Florida Gulf Coast. He couldn't guard anybody. It seemed like every time he tried to body somebody up, they were either outmanning him, outmuscling him down in the post, or just kind of blowing by him. And, and and offensively, this is a guy that they praised offensively. They said this guy can. And shoot. He looked great this in the exhibition can, game last year against guy, Quincy. Correct. And this is a guy who kicked the basket on offense. It almost looks like he doesn't want anything to do with the basketball. And that's that was and that was what was concerning, concerning to me that. I think Isaac Gassman is a player that has potential to be a good offensive player. I think defensively he's always going to probably struggle somewhat, but you know you can give effort, you can you can hustle, you can do enough things, maybe get by in that end. But if he does not giving anything offensively, I don't know what he's doing out there. And so hopefully, I think it's a case where he probably was somewhat overwhelmed by the moment, and hopefully he can learn from that. And that's why someone like Martin might get more run early on in the season. But feels like right now the depth is really an issue for this team. It'll be interesting going forward. Uh, Really interesting to watch that upcoming tournament. Just the non-conference before we sign off. That's not going to get any easier, Mike. No, and that's the one thing I predicted was this non-conference schedule is going to be very brutal to them. And I don't honestly, depending on how the showing against South Carolina goes, it could be slightly uglier than I might have predicted. I know I predicted them to go five, seven and five through non-con. Uh, I mean, this is, if you look at it, it just gets brutal. Um, and again, the defensive play is concerning. And if they play defensively the way the way they did throughout non-conference, like they did against Florida Gulf Coast, some of these and games are going to get pretty ugly here. It's one game, and we should say that. And I, th- and I think the other thing it's tough to know, it's tough to know how good this Florida Gulf Coast team is. If they're the A-Sun champions, and we can look back at this game and say, you know, this, that wasn't that bad of a loss. Uh, if they end up being just kind of a mediocre team, this could be a whole different reflection on them. So it's tough to know based off one game against one team where the Redbirds stand. But a lot of trends that are interesting early on. I think the depth will be interesting to watch against South Carolina coming up this weekend. That'll do it for this edition of the Redbird Report. Thank you so much for tuning in. Signing off from the Vedette offices for Nate Head and Mike Mara. I'm Tom Prisman saying have a good night.